0: So, what we're considering this morning together is something which is called theistic evolution. The debate between science and the Bible, whether evolution is true or the Bible record of creation is true, is something that's been debated for a long time. And the theory that's been uh, propounded to to solve that issue is commonly known as theistic evolution or TE, we might see it described as as well. So we're going to be thinking about this in relation to Bible teaching this morning. So it's defined by Wikipedia um, as those views which regard religious teachings about God as compatible with modern scientific understanding about biological evolution. So that creation and scientific theories of evolution don't need to contradict each other. We can find harmony between evolution and the Bible record of creation and that harmony is found in this theory theistic evolution and the person who coined that phrase this american uh, scientist called francis collins said that it, evolution is real as described by biologists but it was set in motion by god uh, god directed it as it went along. so that might have been injecting extra genes into the gene pool or something like that which in, uh, enabled things to turn out in the end as God wanted them to. It was evolution that was God's mechanism. So let's investigate this together, whether we believe from the Bible, this is what what the Bible is teaching. Theistic evolution also has a view about Adam, who the Bible describes as the first man created. Um, If the evolutionists believe in Adam at all, which some of them do, some of them don't, they say that when God made man in his own image, which is describing the creation of Adam. What he did was to stamp his own likeness onto one of the many hominids which appear to have been living at the time. So, this gradually evolving race of hominids, uh, God chooses one out and stamps his likeness onto him, and that's Adam. Uh, you can see that's from the 1960s in England. Uh, The next quote says, there's no difficulty in believing that God could have carried out this special creation of man in a hominid ape. There is no reason to believe that the hominid would change morphologically or genetically in any way detectable to an anthropologist. So, Adam, this um, hominid ape, which God sent his likeness onto, wasn't any different to the rest of the the hominid apes that were, were evolving at the time. And you couldn't tell that from looking at his body after he died. So theistic evolution, if it believes in Adam, sometimes teaches that Adam was uh, one of these hominid apes evolving uh, with many other creatures like him, and God just chose Adam. So how does a Bible believer respond to this uh, this claim, this theory? Because it it might seem appealing to try to find this, uh, this balance between science and the Bible and find harmony there. Well, we, Christadelphians believe that the Bible is God's word, that he's given the Bible to us to teach us about everything we need to know in order to be saved and to live in the kingdom of God, which I'm sure you've heard about before if you've been watching any of these talks. We believe that the Bible is true, and that God, who wrote it and, and chose the words of the Bible, cannot lie. The people who are written about it in the Bible also believe that it's true and that God cannot lie. People like the Lord Jesus Christ, like the Apostle Paul who will consider these two uh, people this morning and what they say. There's of course many more people who believe that and many more people who speak about creation in the Bible but we're just going to be thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul and their teaching about the matter this morning. So we're going to look to see what they say about the creation record in Genesis chapters 1 to 3. Um, that's where we should be placing our trust, if we believe the Bible, if we are trying to find out the truth about God from the Bible, we want to see what the people who wrote the Bible say about it. So I'd like to first look at Genesis chapter 2, uh, and the record about the creation of man and woman and the first marriage. So if we can just get that up here. Um, we'll just read a couple of verses here from Genesis chapter 2, um, this is where the woman Is presented to the man. The first woman is presented to the first man. Eve is presented to Adam after her creation. Verse 23 of Genesis chapter 2 says Adam said this woman in front of him is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So we're reading about the first marriage here in Genesis chapter 2. We believe this is happening on day 6 of creation. We're not going to go through uh, Genesis chapter 1 in any detail this morning, but we believe it it fits into day 6 when God makes man. And this first marriage between Adam and Eve, which we've read about there, is actually a model for all marriages to come. So Adam doesn't say, therefore, uh, I have left my father and mother. Adam had no father and mother, did he? He's speaking about all marriages to come in the future. A man shall leave his father and mother. And it is to be a permanent state, one that wasn't to be broken, that man should be joined to his wife, literally to cling to her and not leave her. And they would be one flesh, sharing that special relationship together uh, as one, not with many people, but as one. So it's a permanent state. And Jesus quotes this passage, in his teaching about marriage. So the Lord Jesus Christ refers to Genesis chapter 2 and he says, well let's see what that says about how we should uh, respond to God. So if I can just get Genesis, uh, Jesus' teaching Matthew 19 up, we'll have a look at that together. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4. Jesus is, a- is answering a question here about divorce. Is it okay to just divorce your wife for any old reason? And he says to the people who are asking the question, in verse 4 Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? That's quoting from Genesis chapter 1. Jesus is referring to the creation record of Genesis 1. You read that he says, you know what it says, he says to the people he's speaking to. And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus says, God said in the beginning that a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they should be one flesh. When we read it in Genesis, it was Adam saying it, wasn't it? What we're being told here, I think, is that God is speaking through Adam. When Adam says, uh, uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, etc., it's the word of God that he's speaking. He's not necessarily, or he's not at all, I don't think, a a hominid, he's evolved. Uh, and God has just revealed himself to, he is a prophet of God. And Jesus uses those words of Genesis chapter 2 as a moral lesson for the people of his day. So he says, because of what we've read in Genesis chapter 2, he says, So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. There's that phrase from Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man, Separate. So Jesus is saying, the creation record of Genesis chapter 1 to 3 actually happened as it's recorded in Genesis 1 to 3. And, moreover, not just that it happened and then we can move on, it actually teaches people who believe in God about how to live their day-to-day lives. That man and woman shouldn't be divided once they're married. They shouldn't be separated. God is joining them together and they should be one flesh. And that's because it's true in Genesis so that's the Lord Jesus Christ view of uh, the Genesis record God in the beginning did these things and it's teaching people about how to live today because he did them and because it happened as it's written like this how about the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill so this is in Athens this is one of the the foremost preachers of the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, who wrote much of the New Testament himself, he is preaching here to people in Athens about about God, they don't know who God is, so he's now taking the opportunity to tell them who God is. So let's come to uh, Acts chapter uh, chapter 17, Um, let's find Acts 17 for you, sorry I'm using my phone to find the the references uh, because I want to use the New King James Version. Uh, and I'm not too familiar with doing it, so I do beg your pardon. So, in Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul comes across Greeks, clearly, living in Athens. And we read about the Greeks, that they are seeking after wisdom. All they want to do is learn more of the world's knowledge. They're not really interested in the wisdom of God. They're interested in the wisdom of man. And so Paul sees this and takes the opportunity to give them what he thinks they really need, the wisdom of God. And he speaks to people uh, who are philosophers, people who literally love wisdom. That's what philosophical people do. That's what philosophers need. They love wisdom. And he speaks to these Epicureans in Acts chapter 17, verse 18. Uh, He's speaking to them about Jesus and the resurrection, and they want to know more what you're talking about really Uh, so the epicureans seem to have believed in a basic form of evolution so there's a quote here about epicureanism and it sounds very like a basic view of biological evolution that the swerving motion of atoms is what allowed for the creation of the universe Uh, because more and more atoms uh, swerving colliding with each other objects were able to take shape as the atoms joined together Uh, small forms making big forms as they join together and change over time. That's something we might be familiar with if we're familiar with evolutionary teaching at all. So the Epicureans seem to believe in some form of evolution. But I think it's really interesting that as we go on through Acts chapter 17, Paul doesn't seem to find any common ground. He doesn't see to seem to say, well, you believe the right thing, but you haven't got all the truth. You know, it was to do the swerving atoms that the world was made, but it wasn't just by itself a random act. It was God who did it. Paul doesn't say that at all. Paul says it was God who made all things in the beginning uh, and he alludes to Genesis 1 to say that. So in Acts chapter 17 verse 24 Paul says God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. So Paul makes lots of allusions to Genesis chapter 1 to 3 throughout his words here um, and they're all showing that Paul believed it was literally true so maybe have, have a bit of homework if you were fancy investigating this a little bit more what, how many can you find uh, and Paul is quoting here from Genesis chapter 1 God who made the world in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and he calls him the Lord of heaven and earth because he's made them because he's the creator he is then the Lord of those, those places He goes on to say, uh, in verse 26, that God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of all the earth. So, every nation, he says, has come from one blood, one person. Uh, And I think he's taking another Old Testament passage here and using that in his teaching. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, we're not going to turn there, we're not going to read it in any detail. It says the sons of Adam. Um, Adam, as who read about in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, wasn't he? And it's the normal Hebrew word for man. The, Bible, the Old Testament of the Bible is written in Hebrew. And it's the normal Hebrew word for man, Adam. So when Paul says that we all came from one blood, I think he's saying that we all came from Adam. Um, and all nations descended from that one blood. Eve also is said to be the mother of all living. That's what Adam says when he calls her Eve. She is the mother of all living. Every living uh, human being has come from Eve, Adam says, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse twenty. So Paul is saying we all come from Adam. Genesis is true. Adam existed and he was made just as it describes in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. So all human life would come from Adam and Eve. Uh, That's very different to what theistic evolution says, who says that there was a gradually evolving race of hominids, and God just chose two, Adam and Eve, and he revealed himself to them. Uh, And the extension of that argument is a a scary thought, that there are people in the world who might be descended from uh, hominids who who weren't descended from Adam and Eve. So uh, they haven't come from that one bloodline line of Adam and Eve so uh, they aren't human like Adam and Eve uh, are. It's a very scary line of reasoning now, I think. Uh, and it's certainly not what the Apostle Paul is saying at all. He is saying all human life has come from Adam and Eve, one blood. And he uses this word all, an awful lot in his words here in Acts 17. So um, we're not going to read all the verses here, but we're going to put a summary up in a second. But you can see all or everything or everyone comes out in all of these references in Paul's speech here. And I think that's really important. Because what essentially Paul is saying is because all men are descended from the one blood, Adam and Eve, they are all God's offspring. The words here in blue are straight out of Acts 17. They should all repent. Because Jesus will one day judge the world. And God has given assurance to all men by raising him from the dead. So what we are being told here is that because everyone has descended from Adam and Eve and God has made them all, everyone has a responsibility to repent, to come to God, to seek him and to turn their way of life around in uh, accordance with God's ways. Because uh, God has made them all, as it describes in Genesis chapters 1, 2 and 3. And he's given assurance, he's given faith, he's given the proof of that to all people because he's raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Another topic I'm sure you've heard about if you've been listening to these talks. I'd like also to come to Romans chapter 5 because Romans chapter 5 I think is a really really important passage when we're thinking about this topic. It deals with our salvation and how uh, we are all related to the Lord Jesus Christ because Uh, He is undoing the work of Adam. So in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we read, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, it's describing here the fall of Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned, that one man's sin, Adam, led death. Uh, to spread to all men who are related to Adam. And I think that's a really important point in Romans 5 books as well. Death is there after Adam's sin. The record of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 uh, has no reference to death at all. It wasn't something that was present in the world before Adam's sin. But the theistic evolution will say, well, that's how man came to be in the state he was when God revealed himself to him. Death is a driving force behind that evolutionary uh, cycle, isn't it? That the weakest, uh, gene, weaker genes in the gene pool have to be eradicated, and that has to happen through death. So death isn't a punishment, like it was for Adam, uh, because of his sin. It was a reward for having, uh, or as a way of getting rid of the, the bad genes in the gene pool. Again, that's totally not what Roman's 5 is saying at all, is it? And it's saying that we all die because of that. We all die because we're all related to Adam. Um, Down in verse 18, we carry on. It says, Therefore, as through one man's offence, that Adam's sin, again, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the Lord Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So here's the sort of conclusion of the matter, it says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, because we're all related to Adam, we all sin and we all die. So by also one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. The so Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection has the power to change that effect, to remove death, if we believe in him. We can be made righteous, like the Lord Jesus Christ. So in his teaching about God and about how we can come to God and have our sins forgiven, that's in Romans chapter five. Paul is saying the record of uh, creation, record in Genesis chapters one, two, and three, actually happened as it is recorded, and that those chapters teach that God made all things so that those seeking Him should repent, because those record that record is true. Adam was the literal man in the beginning who let death into the world because of his sin, and we have to repent and change our way of life to fit in with God's ways because we too sin and that can, uh, if we do that can lead us to a state where we won't die anymore so how does that happen then? Come over please to First Corinthians chapter 15. This is an absolutely beautiful chapter about the resurrection, how life can come from the dead and I'd just like to take a couple of verses here to finish. So, in 1st Corinthians 15, Paul again is teaching us how we can have eternal life in the kingdom of God. How when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, the dead will be raised up. Those who are dead uh, will come to life again, and if they are faithful, they will live in the kingdom of God. So it says, in this way, and it refers back to creation again, to Genesis, as the basis for this massively important, crucial, doctrine about salvation. It says, but now Christ is risen from the dead, and has become the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Again, that's what we saw with Romans 5, wasn't it? Adding sin, their death into the world. By man came death. But by the, uh, man came also the resurrection of the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ has uh, opened the possibility now for all those who believe in him to be raised from the dead. As in Adam, all die, even so in Christ, to all be made alive. So if we are in Christ, some more on that in just a moment, then we can be made alive in the kingdom of God. We can be changed from being like Adam to being like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is treating the Genesis record as literally true, and the basis for the hope of the future in the kingdom of God. So it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being quote from Genesis uh, chapter 2, and he calls him the first man. That's really important, isn't it? He wasn't part of a gradually evolving race. He was the first man this passage teaches us. And he goes on to, to explain that. The last Adam, mm-hmm. this is the Lord Jesus Christ now, became a life-giving spirit. Not just that he lived himself, but he had the ability to grant life to others, eternal life. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. Again, alluding to Genesis chapter 2, where God took dust and made Adam after the dust of the ground. The second man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Lord from heaven. And here's the wonderful hope that we have. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, our bodies die and decay and we go back to the ground from whence he came. That's what life is like for us. But here's the hope we shall also bear the image. Of the heavenly man. We can be made like the Lord Jesus Christ. So in his teaching about the resurrection Paul is saying the creation record in Genesis chapters 1, 2 and 3 as we've seen all actually happened as it's recorded. Genesis chapters 1, 2 and 3 teach about Adam's sin and the effects of that sin needing to be undone by the Lord Jesus Christ because that record is true in Genesis. And we've seen the wonderful hope that is extended to those who believe uh, to be raised from the dead and to share the image, to be made like the Lord Jesus Christ and live in that kingdom which will be here soon, we believe, on earth, forever. What a wonderful hope that is. Creationism truly does give hope for the future. So uh, I'd like to um, invite you to keep on reading your Bible. Uh, that's where we find the truth about God and the message of salvation. So think about what we've thought about this morning a little bit more. Um, Think about how God has used the record of Genesis throughout the rest of the Bible in order to teach us the truth about what happened in the past and just as importantly, if not more importantly, what will happen in the future in the kingdom of God. We've seen the impact of that in our last couple of quotes there at the end. So thank you for your time. I hope that's been helpful. And please keep on reading uh, your Bible to help you find the truth about these things. If you need some help, Christians around the world would love to give you a, give you a hand in uh, searching out these things together. And as you can see from our last slide in just a moment, there'll be some links which you can follow to help you do that. So, we pray for God's blessing upon you. Thank you very much.